Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of our second season of Five Fragen, or Five Questions, as we would say in English. This is our podcast featuring the people of the Netherlands' diplomatic network here in the U.S. We're talking with the diplomats and policy officers about the strong bonds between the United States and the Netherlands, as well as our diplomatic work in the U.S. We're focusing on the collaborations between our two countries that make our relationship a partnership that works. I'm Jeff Alanak from the Embassy's Communications Office, and I'm talking with Ruth Skipper, who is the Deputy Head of the Economic Department here at the Embassy. Thank you for joining me today, Ruth. You're very welcome, and I'm very pleased to be here. What an honor to be able to kickstart the second season with you. Oh, thank you so much. I asked you to join me today to talk about the longtime trading relationship, or our economic ties, as we like to say, that exists between our two nations. But before we crunch the numbers of that discussion, I'd like to start with a more basic question. What's your background, and how did you end up at the embassy? Well, thanks for asking. It's nice to be here, which I actually consider as almost my home turf, because I actually, what may, maybe some people don't know, is I was an uh, intern in the embassy in the mid-1990s, and uh, which was a very forming era in, uh, in trade policy in the U.S. at that time. Uh, but we'll come back to that later. And um, yeah, my background. So I've been here for two years Before that, I was team lead in uh, the Netherlands Ministry of Economic Affairs and Climate, uh, working on uh, industry policy as the team lead for strategy. Oh, I've been in the government for 25 years now, uh, having worked at Treasury and economic affairs mostly, with stints in foreign affairs. I've also worked in the Antilles. And actually, when we come to talk about the first salute, I know very well where where the first salute was, uh, first was salute. shot at. <laughs> uh, we, we say that every now and again for our listeners. What do you mean by the first salute? Yeah, the first salute. It's almost like the shot that rang around the world, but different and before. Um, so when we're going back hundreds and hundreds of years to the period that we know most uh, well when we think about the movies of Pirates of the Caribbean, When you know that the seafaring nations were beating each other over the head in the beautiful islands of the Caribbean and basically fighting for uh, monopoly situations uh, and not only in the Caribbean, but also fighting fights that had to do more with home turf in uh, between Spain, Netherlands, even Denmark and, of course, England. So first salute, um, when a U.S. vessel... Um, was picking up some shipments, I think it was ammunition, to help them fight the English in Colony America in 1776. They made it towards the beautiful island of St. Eustatius, which we also call Stasia, and shot some, well, basically said hello by firing some shots uh, with their cannon. Weird way to say hello today, but <laughs> back then I guess it was normal, huh? <laughs> it was normal. It was meant to be a friendly way, and I think uh, people in Fort Oranje uh, figured it would be polite to say hello back and shot a shot from um, yeah the Fort Oranje Fort cannons, and um, that was the first salute, first salute to a U for a to a ship sailing under uh, U.S. Flag. So it was the formal recognition in a way. It was a recognition that the English then later learned about and it didn't sit well with them. Mm -hmm. So um, they have actually rubbed it in. I think they finally um, caught a U.S. diplomat who was trying to make it to the Netherlands later on to uh, negotiate a treaty. But um, the English caught him and jailed him and burned then some Dutch islands down and also burned Stacia down. So mm. it cost us dearly, but it was a first 
yeah, uh, investment in a long relationship. So our friends now, right? Yes. This really is your second home, D- D.C., 30 Well, years. what I haven't told you yet is that I actually started here. I always say, say that my life story is a bit of a Cinderella story because I came here in the 1990s, fresh out of high school, to be a nanny in a family that were the foreign correspondents for a leading Dutch newspaper, the Volkskrant. And um, I, as an 18-year-old, I then lived um, with them in Bethesda and had a very nice time. Also met a lot of U.S. families in the yeah, Washington suburbs, McLean, Tacoma Park. Um, so I know my way around um, yeah, the suburban DMV area pretty well. And um, we've stayed friends ever since. And so um, that's actually how I got my internship here is that the U.S. lady who was a go-getter from Capitol Hill pushed me to just do a cold call to the people in the economic department in the embassy here. Just call uh, them up. Just yeah, she s- said, go to the gates, make yourself you know, be heard, call them, say, here I am, I need an internship and you need me, and convince them. And, well, that's what I did. And, uh, do you think that would work today? Would well, unf- yes and no. <laughs> uh, I would be very open for yeah, f- um, forward people like that. However, the system in headquarters um, may not actually allow that. A little more uh, formal these uh, yeah, days. Yeah, it's uh, more formalized, more standardized. But yeah, people with a clear, I mean, candidates for my internships in the economic affairs uh, department um, are usually selected when they know who they are and they know what they want to learn. Okay. So we've been very lucky with our interns, actually. So we still have interns today. We so have you interns can't come today. Up, knock on the door and, and I, say, let me I in. usually tell my life story to them. Yeah, I think most of them. It's probably pretty inspiring yeah, to them, too. I hope so. Yeah. What's the job of a trade officer entail? Formally, I'm the trade counselor here, and I stay in contact with, um, yeah, let's say the um, people, my counterparts on the Dutch and EU side. Um, So that's both the EU delegation, as well as uh, my colleague in the permanent representation of the Netherlands um, with the EU. Uh, I'm also um, the first point of contact for USTR, which is the trade trade minister, so to speak. And um, yeah, when you talk about trade, you talk about how industries interact. Uh, what products and services go across the Atlantic both ways and what the rules of that trading game are because it's trade is a rules-based um, a, a game, so to speak. We are WTO conform and there's also some agreements between the U.S. and the EU that, uh, are tr- that, that shapes our trade patterns. So the WTO, are they the ones who are setting the rules then to make sure that... The They're country- setting the rules because we don't currently have any other rules. But that means that the Netherlands doesn't negotiate their own trade agreement with the U.S. It's the EU that does it for all of the EU member states. And currently we had been working on a trade agreement, but it had come to a halt uh, I think in the area era before uh, the Trump administration even. And we currently only deal with the U.S. still in a very meaningful way, uh, but not leading to what could be considered a more classic trade agreement um, that deals with market access and trade tariffs. But we are um, now engaged in a structured dialogue under the TTC, which is the Trade and Technology Council. So it sounds like if, if the Netherlands had a, somebody invented a widget 
and they wanted to trade with the U.S., you would go through the EU and WTO maybe to make sure that... Um, no, actually, um, um, if an SME has something to sell, they can easily sell it. It's just that um, the uh, customs organizations would figure out if the product is conform U.S. standards and whether um, there's any tariffs or other... Yeah, basically, whether there's tariffs that will be imposed on that product. And um, I hesitated because there's also such a thing as non-tariff barriers. So Mm -hmm. that's where the embassy actually comes in. And also the EU does it to advocate that the playing field should be level and there should be no such thing as trade barriers, um, which can, you know, take the shape and form of, for instance, uh, procurement requirements that that aren't as fair to, let's say, non-U.S. products as uh, they would be to um, domestic products. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, there's actually more of that. I Again, I hesitate because now we're getting into the realm of strategic industry policy, and okay. I think trade and strategic industry policies are two sides of the same coin. Hmm. Sounds a lot more complicated than I ever would have thought. Uh, to uh, begin it's with. not that complicated. It's just a lot. A and lot. Everything <laughs> is interdependent, and uh, so yeah, staying abreast of also what's important to Netherlands and to the EU as industries and technologies to kind of support and and stimulate further. Mm-hmm. Okay. How would you describe the nature of our economic ties? Well, the nature of our economic ties have always been very intense and very good. Um, our Economies resemble uh, each other, and we will see that in the trade patterns, especially the type of um, products that we import and export to and from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're complementary, and we're also wonderful uh, partners in knowledge sharing. So not only is there B2B contact, but also K2K. And that's K2K meaning? Knowledge to knowledge. Okay. So knowledge institutions also sharing knowledge and cooperating on knowledge development. And why is that important? Is because both our economies um, most of the time are at full employment and we still have a growth uh, potential, but in a sustainable and digitized way. And so the challenges that we face are very similar and we can help each other forward in sharing solutions. You will have heard the Adagio um, Global Challenges such Dutch Solutions, but we've kind of tilted that to saying um, solving global challenges together. Yes, I've heard that quite a bit. So we've been partners a long time. Our two countries have been friends a long time now. Uh, you mentioned the, the uh, first salute earlier. Oh yeah, we uh, we always go back to um, to the first salute. But of course, we've been trading partners ever since. Well, I guess the Dutch set foot on the ground here uh, so many hundreds of years ago when um, New York was still called New Amsterdam. So when we say trade is, we've been friends for four hundred years. We're not talking to the, the the governments as they exist today. It's more the. The, the people? Yeah, I guess absolutely. And that's actually a nice um, example of how economists have really uh, figured out that um, steady relations contributing towards, well, in the end, world peace, sit on a, a sound economic relationship. That's another um, answer to your question, what are the ties between um, the, the U.S. and EU and Netherlands, is that we all look at a changing world and a ge- changing geoeconomic, geopolitical system in the same way. 
So uh, our new adagio is um, open, but not naive. Uh, so the Netherlands is still open for trade with the rest of the world, but we are very aware of um, uh, yeah, the interdependencies that have been created in uh, very complex and long supply chains. And um, we are now figuring out how to de-risk and not decouple, but de-risk in our trading partner- patterns with some of the riskier trading partners that we've developed. Reminds me of what uh, President Reagan used to say, trust but verify. I guess yeah, things... so he was a little ahead of his game, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I guess the ch- trading with, with one another supports jobs on both sides as well. Is that... Um... Yes, of course. And um, I know when I st- when I started here some years ago, we said that the trade was six hundred supported six hundred and twenty five thousand jobs, and oh, it's only yeah. it's only gone up. I think that was the number. It's Maybe only it's gone up. And you know what? It's very interesting to kind of study, do a deep dive in uh, the uh, the trade statistics throughout the years. We've used different numbers. Do we, do you know where the 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 jobs the U.S. job supported numbers are today? Yeah. So when we look at um, the job supported um, by our economic ties, we first and foremost look at the value of mm-hmm. U.S. exports to the Netherlands. And so last year, the exports were incredibly strong. They came to about $100 billion worth of exports of goods and services. And so the jobs uh, affiliated in those export sectors amount to about 400,000 jobs. Uh, And this is calculated by the Bureau of Economic uh, Analysis, uh, which is part of the Department of Commerce. And then on top of that, so we don't only look at um, the U.S. exports, but we also look at uh, the Dutch foreign direct investments, and especially in companies that are majority owned by by a Dutch ultimate beneficial owner. Uh, Those companies are reported to support 600,000 jobs. So put those, put two and two together, we come to a very high number that hovers um, just a little bit below the 1 million jobs supported nowadays. Almost a million. So when you say that, uh, like the the Dutch company, we have a giant near us at home. Yeah, sure. That uh, every, and that's where we shop every day, uh, every week, not every, well, some weeks it's every day, but we we shop regularly there. And so that ultimately is owned by a Dutch company. So in some ways, those are the jobs that are being supported. Yeah, we can talk about that, but also... um job creation in companies such as ASML that have a strong foothold um, here as well and other companies, um, you name them. Um, we have Heineken, uh, NXP, um, Booking.com. So when they have employees here, those are the jobs that, that, when, that are included in that million or yeah, almost absolutely. a million. So Heineken, DSM, AXO, ASML, Signify, NXP, A. KLM, Booking, Ronstadt, Aegon Transamerica, and even well, funnily, even IKEA is officially registered now as a Dutch uh, multinational. But companies such as those, but probably also uh, companies that um, are a little, diff- little more difficult to come up with on the cup of, cup of our sleeves, are all considered uh, U.S. companies that are ultimately uh, Dutch, the, and the employment that they support is attributed to uh, the Dutch Dutch investments in the U.S. Okay, that's that's good to know. And we say supported, so it's not that we're creating that the trade is creating a million jobs every year, but there's creating some. But it's but the supporting is that we always say support to keep a little bit of leeway because it's very we say attribute we attribute those numbers back to exports and and Dutch investments in the U.S. But it's 
it, it is very hard to make that causal relationship. Yeah, unless you have a, a Dutch company that is brand new here and they hire 50 employees, for exactly. example, then you could say those were created this year. But um, uh, the employment that actually sits in companies and majority ownership of those companies is uh, ultimately Dutch, then, mm-hmm. um, yeah, then you can really say those companies have created that employment. Sure, sure. And, um, yeah, just one example is that um, the ASML uh, government affairs people say that they have been uh, really hiring here on uh, American soil. So that means that, yeah, it's it's uh, it's ultimately based on, um, yeah, in a way, the, the investments of, of a Dutch company here. Yeah, true. Well, my ne- the next question that comes to mind is why is it important for, com- for countries to trade with one another? But I feel like we've talked quite a bit about that. Ultimately, it comes back to um, the rationale for any company to see where it sources its stuff uh, and an entrepreneur to see what it buys from whom is efficiency and knowledge and value for money. Uh, And when you look at it from a country's perspective, um, yeah, it's also first and foremost growth creation, but we also um, regard growth as an... um, as one v- variable in a broad welfare pers- perspective, mm-hmm. um, so you know that there's there's now a push for um, yeah growing more and more, but also pushed back by people who are concerned about uh, the carrying capacity of the planet and their right. So it's not growth per se, but it's the b- broad welfare uh, perspective that we hold on to, and therefore we um, really look at um, uh, adhering to labor and environmental standards when we trade with each other. Mm-hmm. What makes Dutch and American entrepreneurs such a great match? Well, um, I think we stand, I think we we are so meaningful for each other, uh, and we speak each other's language. Uh, well, as economies, we're compatible. This, uh, so the type of products and services that we uh, trade with each other are compatible. Uh, but of course, the Dutch also bring something new to the game. Um, so when you when you take a step back from the macro level to you know the micro level, um, I already I immediately think about the people that um, come here that are um, very ambitious scale-ups uh, that our colleagues in the um, scale and L program bring mm-hmm. to uh, the East Coast and West Coast to meet with uh, the uh, venture capitalist uh, funds, and um, yeah, usually the Dutch. Uh, are direct. Uh, they say what they mean, and they mean what they say. They try to come up with an uh, in innovative product or service, or a new angle. Um, we're very creative, so our creative sector, in an organized way, is also uh, very visible here in the U.S. Um, yeah, and we we've we're pretty good at what we do and what we deliver. Mm. I would say so. I think that's appreciated by uh, the counterparts in the U.S. In the other way around, too, uh, I think uh, the U.S. Uh, yeah, business enterprise are, yeah, uh, they usually are very straightforward. They know what they want and they're um, very, uh, yeah, efficient in the way that they carry, carry themselves in meetings. So I think just the overall uh, way that we, um, yeah, engage, interact, uh, that works. Okay. What does the future hold for trade between our two nations? Well, that's actually a difficult question to answer because you're asking me to look in a crystal bowl. Well, the, the lottery numbers are coming next, oh. so you have to get this one right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's we, um, I touched upon this in a little bit, talking about how the, um, 
let's say, how, how internationally we look at trade differently because our global trading system is changing. Uh, WTO has been under pressure. Uh, geoeconomically, geopolitically, uh, we don't trust some of the trading partners as much. We're, we've ostracized Russia. Uh, we are n- not decoupling but de-risking in our relationship with China. Uh, so that is one line to answer, and it's difficult. It might mean that transatlantically we will hold each other's hands uh, even more tightly than we have. We also have to look at the regular economic ups and downs. Uh, we have been coming out of the COVID time very strongly here in the U.S. Also in the Netherlands, um, the economy took a dip, but we're um, growing out of that dip. However, when you talk to the economists and banks uh, and the central bank, they will say that 2024 is going to be uh, a tough one. And um, yeah, growth may slow down, come to a halt. Uh, you know, trade is just a reflection of how strong the, our economies are. So we may have to, yeah, just uh, lower our expectations a little bit. Uh, also, we are going into uh, a, ter- a tumultuous year of elections, both uh, mm. on the U.S. side uh, and also uh, even in Netherlands and also in the EU, the commission will uh, will change. So all those changes mean, um, yeah, and step in place, so to speak. Uh, of course, private sector will keep on doing what they do, uh, but who knows what administration we will come out at and um, what that will mean for tariffs, because basically mm. that's that's really the proof of the pudding is, is uh, will there be more impediments to trade uh, on the U.S. side? And mm. yeah, that's something that uh, we would have to be careful of. This is exactly where uh, we come in, uh, in the embassy, not only myself as a trade policy uh, officer, but um, first and foremost, the people who work with the organized Dutch private sector to, um, yeah, to, to find uh, ways in and to find new trading partners. So, yeah, this is really... As soon as the circumstances become more difficult, the rationale for the rationale for our economic network to work with Dutch private sector to find ways in here on the uh, U.S. side uh, becomes even stronger. And more cha- more important, your work more important too to find those opportunities. Yeah, so, I yeah. think so. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just have one more question for you, Ruth, and this one might come as a little bit of a surprise. I didn't. I always like to end with, with one that comes out of the blue a little bit. But um, you mentioned it a little uh, earlier that you were here 30 years ago as, a, as a, an au pair and also an intern here. So it's been quite a while since you've seen the district. What, what is the biggest change you've seen in Washington, D.C., other than the fact that we have a Major League Baseball team again? Well, that uh, is actually funny because I often think about um, my early days here when um, the area where the baseball stadium now sits used to be a scary zone to get into. And yet me and my friends would venture into there because there was a very fun uh, place to go out and dance um, called uh, Tracks. I don't know if you uh, are old it's, enough to remember that uh, place. It was uh, it quite sounds, edgy. I, I, I've never been there, but I, it sounds uh, familiar to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's changed. Um, uh, I, I think it's so impressive um, with the amount of investments that flow into the city uh, to really make a change. And um, 
for instance, the 8th Street corridor with uh, the streetcar that came in and also the whole area around 16th Street pushing into, you know, 15, 14, uh, 13th Street, making that a lively area that used to be dodgy. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, a little bit more melodramatic is that they tore down the first shopping mall that I would go to and have some lunch with my girlfriend, which is the Matza Gallery at Friendship Heights. That's that's gone. That's a goner. Oh, I thought you were talking about White Flint Mall. Well, the we White Flint was one. before that, and <laughs> yeah. that is uh, some people may not remember how important it was that when Gorbachev uh, first came over in the '90s to the U.S. For state visit, Nancy Reagan took Mrs. Gorbachev out shopping to White Flint Mall, and that was a big deal at the time. I don't remember that. Yeah, really? White Flint is gone now. It is. So, yeah. Yeah. so I think that's a change. Uh, but overall, Washington will always be such a lively city what with the uh, central government, the federal government sitting here, and an incredible... Uh, population of the smartest, most dedicated people here working in international economic development for uh, notably the World Bank, uh, Inter-American Development Bank, IMF, IFC. Um, I haven't mentioned yet that I was in the World Bank in the executive director's office in the early 2000s, right after 9-11. Oh, Um, So that was another era in my life that we um, lived in DuPont Circle, had fun there, my husband and I. So, um, yeah, that, that's an air, area uh, in the city that hasn't changed and is still fun and lively, as m- a lot of our colleagues know. It's such a beautiful uh, area to live. But, yeah, Washington is great. It's a wonderful second home to me and my family. Sounds like it. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you again, Ruth, for joining me for this episode of Five Fragen. No, I think I might have asked a few more questions than five again. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Please tell us what you think in the comments below and be sure to click on the subscribe button and turn on notifications so you don't miss our next episode or the other videos we post on our YouTube channel. I'll be back behind the microphone next month with another member of the Dutch Diplomatic Network in the United States. Until then, you can keep up with our work on any of our social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Just search for NL in the USA, and you can stay up to date on how the United States and the Netherlands have a partnership that works.